Hello. We at Grace Covenant Church in Gunnison, Colorado are grateful and humbled that we get to be part of your sanctification today. We invite you to review our sermons online, but also stress the importance of being joined to a biblical local church, the life of the church, and the spiritual gifts God has given us to express in the church. Our website is www.gracegunnison.com. There you can find sermons and other resources as well as our location and service times. The members of Grace Covenant Church Gunnison pray that the following messages will be a blessing to you. This morning we are in Matthew again. Matthew, we're in chapter 26. This morning we're going to look at the prophecy and preparation for his passion. Now we have caught ourselves up in Matthew. We are we are back to where we, we need to be. Um, I want to refresh you kind of how we moved around just a little bit in, in the gospel. We, uh, last summer I, I passed over uh, part of chapter 20 and 21 and we came back and, and looked at that in the last several weeks. Um, but let me just refresh you of, of the... Uh, the chronology, I guess, of, of Matthew from where we are because we've, we've, we've moved around just a bit. Um, so last summer, as I said, we skipped over that part of Matthew 20 and 21 and we went back and I, I shared with you the, the narrative of the two blind men that received sight and then the triumphal entry. So here's the chronology. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We looked at the the cleansing of the temple, the cursing of the fig tree. And then immediately after that, which we preached back a while ago, Jesus' authority was challenged. Remember the Pharisee said, by what authority do you do these things? And he talked to them about that. And he compared them. He asked about John the Baptist. And, and then we saw the parable of the two sons. You know, he told one to go and he went and he told another to go and he didn't go and all that. And then we saw the parable of the vineyard tenants. If you're thumbing through your scriptures now and you get to chapter 22, you'll see the parable of the wedding feast. The uh, question to Jesus about is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? These are things we've covered. I'm just refreshing you. And then there's a question put to Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? He answers them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus asked a question of the religious leaders. Remember, he brought up Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, he, he asked a question. He says, is, if, he said, if the Messiah is David's Lord, how is it that he is his son? And it says that the, the leaders stopped asking him any questions after that. They didn't. They, they weren't able to understand the question. And then immediately Jesus goes into a, a condemning uh, diatribe on the Pharisees. And there were seven woes. Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. Remember that? Woe to you, seven of them. He gave, condemning them. Immediately after that, he laments over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I long to gather you as a as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. And then immediately after that, the Olivet Discourse. So that was chapter 24 and 25. This is all in a, in a sermon Jesus is giving, mind you. 
and he spoke on the Olivet Discourse about the uh, prophetic events of the temple destruction, the end of the age, the coming parousia, the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He gave a, uh, an illustration in the parable of the ten virgins to be ready. And then he gave the parable of the talents to be about service of our king when he comes. He talked about the separation of the sheep and the goats on that final day, the judgment. And how at that judgment it will be some to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. There'll be torment and fire to some and blessedness to others. So this is where we are. Now he has just preached, finished the Olivet Discourse, okay? And now he comes into where we are today. So with that long introduction, let's read where we are in chapter 26. I want us to look at the first 13 verses this morning. Let us read the text this morning, and then we'll pray and get into the Word. Chapter 26, hear God's Word. When Jesus had finished all of these words, that is the words he just preached from the Olivet Discourse, the Sermon on, sermon on the Mount of Olives. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathering together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial and, and very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price, and the money been given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, he said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Really I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. This is the reading of the word this morning. You have heard God speak in his word. It is inerrant, infallible, and holy revelation to us. Let's pray once again. Father, I ask that you would open up this word to us, Lord, that you would mine out the, the gold that is here, and Lord, that you would use this to renew us again, to sanctify us, to mold us into the image of your Son, to, Lord, just to root out any, any fleshly desires, any fleshly sins that need to be dealt with, Lord, that you would expose them to, to our hearts, to each of us and that we may lay them at the cross, that we may, we may repent of these things and turn back to you, and Lord, that you would do a work in us that only, only you can do, for you are our God and our Lord. So Lord, we offer up this time to you, and, and we 
we come to this to the preaching of the word and in the spirit of worship to the Lord Jesus and to his name that we ask this amen our Lord having just finished this quite um, troubling if you will discourse on the, the destruction of the temple and glorious return of his coming and doom for those who are outside of his kingdom the judgment he will, he will come as judge so he's pronouncing uh, triumph really in the discourse prior to this and now we come and he, he brings the disciples and us back to the, the realization that his death is, is imminent his death is quite on the horizon the, the the high point of his, of his humiliation. And Jesus here is foretelling his death again. He told them how many times have we heard in the Gospels? At least four, I haven't gone back to count, but at least four and many more allusions to it where they were well aware of what was going to happen. They had been told at least. And so here he is preparing them for his passion it'll be in three days this is three days away from his crucifixion it's quite amazing the magnitude of events that transpire in these few days we talk about the wheels of justice or you know turn slowly it seems that well there was no justice in man's sense done here but it seems the wheels are turning quite fast here faster than we're used to seeing, for sure. And not only is he preparing for his passion, but he's prophesying of his impending betrayal and crucifixion. And so we see this prophecy, he starts out, you know that, basically saying, I've told you that, and you know that we're going, the Passover is in two days. And the Son of Man is going to be delivered up, it says. And to be crucified. The Son of Man is going to be delivered. He's going to be handed over. And so what we have here is, is the, the when. We have the occasion. We have the who. There are several things here. The when is two days. It's amazing how Jesus can say these things. And we on the other side of the cross understand much better. But can you tell me what's going to happen? A significant event is going to happen in two days. No, you can't. You can't tell me what's going to happen in two minutes. And here Jesus is proclaiming that this is going to occur in two days. That not only is it going to occur then, but it's going to occur on an occasion of the Passover. This is pivotal, pivotal for us to understand the occasion this is happening and I'm going to get back to this but the occasion is the Passover but the prophetic event that he's declaring to them is that it's going to happen to who? the son of man so he is declaring again to them the messianic title speaking of himself that the son of man is going to be handed over the, the son of God the son of David this is the Messiah. These are all titles for the Messiah. And what is the, so the event is, 
is his death. What is the, the means of it? How is it going to occur and, and what is the manner of it? So the means, how is this going to transpire, is going to be through betrayal. He tells them. Now the, the manner is crucifixion. Crucifixion was the most, we're going to be speaking of this crucifixion for several Lord's days now as we come up to it, but one of the most cruel methods of death it was a torturous death. You know, it is a blessing to have a quick death, but crucifixion is a very long, pro prolonged, it is a very um, suffering agony of death. It, the Jews would not use crucifixion. This was a Roman institute, a Roman institute. Now, in Jewish law, there was capital punishment. But in the time of Jesus, they were under Roman rule. They were not allowed to do on their own what the Romans could do. And we're going to see because of this, this is why we had all these trials. Many trials, mock trials, and trials upon trials. But the means was betrayal. Betrayal is one of the most treacherous, painful things for anyone to go through. But we pass over this sometimes, the betrayal of Jesus. But betrayal is much worse than someone coming and hitting me in the face. The betrayal is worse than me going down a dark alley and been, and, and been, and roughed up and, and caught there by evil people. Betrayal is worse than someone stealing something from you. You see, the worst thing about betrayal is it does not come from your enemies. Have you thought about that? It comes from those who are close to you. The psalmist says, though the one who I, who I went to the house of the Lord with, the one who I ate bread with, the one who was close to me, the one who I shared my most intimate things and so when, when betrayal happens, it is, it is such a surprise and a shock that it, it's just devastating. It takes a long time to get over And maybe some of you have gone through this. Maybe some of you will go through this. Those of us who are believers more than likely will. Our Lord did. But think of the pain. Maybe you can think of a painful situation yourself. But or someone you trusted. And that's what happened here when we're going to see who the betrayer was. We know the betrayer. But at the time, the disciples didn't even know who the betrayer was. Even the one who was betraying him, maybe he wasn't quite sure. He asked the Lord, is it I? But this is a, this might have been more painful than even death itself, to be betrayed. Or to be forsaken, to have someone turn their face away from you. But here, Jesus is well aware that he's going to the crucifixion. He is well aware that there will be bitter betrayal to him by one whom he is close to. And this 
brings us now to the occasion, and I want to get back to the occasion because it's very important. He said it will be during the Passover. All in connection with what's happening at the Passion is in connection with the Passover. It is vital that this be there. It is vital in God's providential plan. You see, Christ is our Passover. The New Testament tells us that. The Passover is God's predetermined time and occasion for His Messiah, for the Messiah, to accomplish salvation through His own body and blood. It is God's Passover sacrifice that we are witnessing in the pages of Scripture. The ultimate Passover lamb is here before us. What, when you think about the Passover, they celebrated it for, for, for centuries, maybe up to a thousand years before. And all of this, in fact, the reason Jerusalem was so swelling at this time was the Passover. All males who were 12 years old and over were required to be at the feast, required to be at the Passover. That's why the Jerusalem was so swell with people every year during the Passover. And here, all of the Passovers before, all of them had looked forward to this day that is going to occur in two, three days from now, from where we are. That Think about the the time of Abraham before the Passover. Abraham, and he was told to offer his one and only son as a sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice. It wasn't his son, but he was commanded to do so, and by faith he did so. That pointed to this day that we are about to get to, the Day of Atonement. Yom, Yom Kippur was always looking to this day all of the feasts were looking to this day that Jesus is coming to. All of history is looking to this day. All of history, all of what we know as history, looking back is to this day. Everything revolves around this particular Passover, this Passover celebration. Do you remember what they were celebrating? Before. They're celebrating the Passover from where? From deliverance, salvation from Egypt. Remember they were in bondage. Um, remember how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and all these things happened and, and then the brothers a long time later came and, and they were remorseful and Joseph said, you know, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good to save many and so Joseph was a, a type of deliverer, a type of deliverer and but then another Pharaoh came and didn't know Joseph and they enslaved them and treated them harshly. God heard their cries after years. And he came with another type of deliverer. They called for Moses, remember? And Moses was to lead them out, was to lead them out. He was a, a type of Christ, if you will, coming out of the of, of slavery, coming out of the um, the pit and coming into the promised land. And so the South, the Passover was a, a, a feast commemorating the rescue. And remember what they told the, uh, the, the, the blood of the lamb was to be sprinkled 
on the doorpost, on the lentils of the doorpost, and it was a covering over the home. So there was the blood was covering the home. And if your home had the blood on there, the angel of death would pass over and would not kill your firstborn son. He would live. And your family would be spared. But if you didn't believe, if you said, oh, that's a, some fairy tale, and you had no blood over the... Your, your firstborn would be slaughtered and there would be weeping and crying and loud torment over this. But think about this. If you were in that time, would you, would you believe what God said? Would you put the, the blood on the door? Or would you be one that said, ah, I don't know about that. Sounds a little unbelievable. Think about that. Would you want your child to be saved? Or would you just disbelieve? Would you suffer the agony of your disbelief? Here, this Passover was a feast of remembrance and deliverance. Sparing. Sparing what you did deserve. Mercy was given to be rescued out of death. And the picture is always, that picture was pointing to a greater picture. To be rescued out of the slavery of sin. sin a, a slavery of a life to self and to this world and to Satan. And to be delivered out of that. To be taken from death and brought to life through the power of Jesus Christ. You see, this is pointing to redemption from spiritual slavery. This is what this is showing us. It's, a, it's incredible, actually, when we think about it. It's, a, it's, it's beauty beyond belief. Our Passover is Christ. The, the, the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb couldn't do it, but it was a picture of something that would and could and did accomplish this wonderful salvation. So here is God's providence. Do you see all of history coming together here? In two days, this is going to happen. God's providence, the, the fruition of his plan. God's providence. Okay, got that right? We're, we're okay? We're, we're good there? Okay, now we see man's plan. Man's wisdom. What's it look like? We see in verse 3 and 5. The chief priests and the elders of the people were gathering together in the court of the high priest. Caiaphas was the high priest. We're going to see he was the son-in-law of Annas, who was a, the actual high priest, but that's for another time. But here, these religious leaders were assembling. They were gathering themselves together. Where? At the palace of the high priest. Hmm. This is the earthly high priest. Jesus is the high priest forever, and they're gathering together, they're scheming together, and what do they want to do? They want to kill him. That's their plan. Let's kill him. But notice their plan. Now, I talked about all the trials that are going to happen. I think there's some six trials. There's, there's like three religious, we'll call them, that the Jews would, were trying him, and there's, there's three that civil or criminal that the Romans try him. Now, all of these mock trials start right here. The plot, the plan, we're going to kill him. Now, they wanted to kill him a while, but now they're going to kill him. 
the, the, the betrayer who's coming is just going to be a part of this plan. But notice the timing and the way. Here's man's plan. Okay, the timing. Not during the feast. Anytime but next time. Okay? Why? They're fearful for the people. Well, we're powerful and the people are going to get upset and they're going to riot. And then what are we going to do? There's all these people here. There's more people in Jerusalem now than any other day of the year. We can't do it now. So, their way? Stealth. Under the darkness of night. We'll do it another time. Everybody's gone and no one's thinking about it. And it'll be under the covers. It'll be a hidden deed. Take note of this. When any people are doing things like this, doing things... Um, under the cover, behind closed doors, secretive meetings, these things are only the shameful and guilty do these things. Those who are not guilty and shameful openly do things. They're not. They, they know their guilt. They know what they're doing. And they are already showing the shame of what they're doing here. Recall the, the city of Jerusalem is swell. All these people, you see... If we had all these people here, we can't do it then. So man's plan, the leaders here, they want to do it in secret. God's counsel, God's providence, open and public. Man's plan, let's not do it at the feast. God's plan on the Passover, as the Passover, the Passover. Whose plans are going to are going to triumph here. Who's going to win out in the end? God. Yeah, but the people here actually thought that they were going to win out. People actually think they're going to win out. That the, 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 the man's plan is to take him by force. God's plan is to offer himself, to give of himself. Man's plan says our way, God's way says no, my way. We see the, the dichotomy. We see the, the, the contrast here. But God's purposes will always be fulfilled. Always. And it will always be according to his sovereign counsel. His, his ways, his will, his timing. God's design always thwarts always overrules the designs of carnal men. He, he will always thwart the, the politician, the, the philosopher, the, the activist, the, the, the kings, the, the generals, wicked men. They have no chance. Remember Psalm 2? The leaders, they conspire, they gather together against the Lord and His anointing. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's come against God. But do you realize that anybody outside of Christ is coming against God and shaking their fist and saying, no, I will do it my way? What does God say when these people come together and conspire? God laughs. He rolls back in this grandfatherly laugh of isn't that funny? Isn't that sad? 
They're conspiring against me. Me who created all. God Almighty. My anointed. These religious leaders here and those who came before and those who will come after are fulfilling the words of, this, of Psalm 2. They rage. They rage against God. We will not have him to rule over us. That's what man says. We come out, we come to this world saying this. And so here Jesus prepares his disciples for what's ahead. This is coming. And next we see Jesus is being prepared for his passion in the following scene. The following scene I want us to look at is chapter is verse 6 to 13. And so here we proceed. So the, tech, the, the first part of this text is hostility, right? They're coming against him. He's going to be crucified and betrayed. So we go from hostility to heartfelt affection. Much contrast. I love how Matthew like takes us up, up to the mountains and then down to the depths of the valleys and up again. You know, he, it, it's, 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 it's like a musical almost to, to watch where he takes us. Notice the location in verse 6. This is a historical, factual event. He's narrating to us, and he, the reason I say that, he gives us the house, the town that's in Bethany, right on the other side where he was staying, the side of the valley. And it's at Simon the leper's house. Now, we don't know much about Simon the leper, but we can, I think we can justly assume that, well, obviously he was a leper. Simon was a common name. Simon, he was Peter, Simon the Zealot, Simon, there's lots of Simons. Simon the leper. I believe that they put that name there because he would have been known in the community as this. But I put it to you further that this man was no longer a leper. Jesus is in the house of him. Jesus healed all these diseases. And so I think we can assume that they're meeting in this man's house who people knew had been healed. And what's ha what happens here with Judaism, Simon the leper is not the main part of the story. But here, what we see is a woman comes up. And we're not told her name. She's an unnamed woman. But what we see in this portion is extravagant devotion. Now, look, look with me at the, at the specifics of, of this. First we see the costliness of it and the uniqueness of it. So a woman comes with him to him with an alabaster vial or an alabaster flask. It would have been a glass vial ornamental with a, a long skinny uh, neck. It would have been something that they could pour out very small and precise amounts. Why? Because of the costliness of it. And this would have been such a costly perfume. It would have been not like going to Walmart to the perfume desk and buying something. This would have been something much more than that. Something that they would have maybe got in a foreign land. It would have been more like a, an heirloom to a family. In fact, it is said that the price was something wrong. Something like 300 denarii. We know this from one of the other Gospels. So this would have been, the price would have been uh, an average man's yearly salary. So most of us wouldn't buy wife or girlfriend 
um, your yearly, sal yearly salary and a perfume. I don't think. <laughs> maybe you really were affectionate for her. Maybe, maybe she had an odor problem. I don't know. But this, this perfume would have been something that would have been poured on them, obviously for the aroma, but also in someone's death. So it might have been saved for a very special occasion and very costly, very unique. And so this woman is not taking the, the cap off and pouring a little drop. It says in one of the other Gospels that she breaks the neck and, and pours it lavishly on him. She is expressing many things here. First of all, I believe she's expressing belief that this is the Messiah. This is not only the Messiah, this is my Messiah. This is my Savior and my Lord. And she's expressing true love. Jesus says what she has done is good. The, the word actually means morally good. We speak of good like well, this is a good cup of coffee or a good meal. No, morally good. He's speaking of something that is beautiful, that is precious. And so it's a demonstration of her true love. It's a demonstration of proper priorities. And what, the reason I say that is because the disciples came and said, well, this could have been given to the poor. Well, she understands that Jesus, the Messiah, is before him is so much more important. It's not that the poor are to be neglected. It's not what he's saying. But he's saying the priorities is that the Savior is here before her and she's aware of this. And this is where we see um, some errors in the social gospel, which is no gospel at all, uh, and, and even in some missionary work of, of, of bringing to the top physical things, things that people need over their spiritual need of a savior. You ask me what they did on a mission, they said, well, they built houses and, and, and they dug wells. Well, what about the gospel? Oh, yeah, we had some devotionals too. No, our main emphasis needs to be to share Christ with people. And yes, we want to take care of their practical needs too, but that's not the main thing. But what happens after this devotion is shown? Immediately we see protests, not from the religious leaders, not from the, the worldly people, but his own disciples. They protest and they become angry. They say, what waste? Look what she's wasted on Jesus' head. We could have done so much more with that. We could have done, in essence, what they're saying is we could have done some real good with that. Jesus corrects their misconception. He corrects them. And what we see, before I get to what Jesus says, I want to realize that there's prophetic significance in what she is doing. Whether she's aware of all of it, we're not told. But the prophetic significance is twofold. One is the in the anointing itself, and the other is what Jesus alluded to, the ceremonial for burial. So first there's the anointing. Remember, recall how we have seen through this section of the gospel, how he is the prophet, he is the priest and the king. The king came in. All of these offices in, in Old Testament Israel would have received anointing. Anointing of oil as a 
proclamation of their office and what they were there for. King David would have, a prophet would have, and a priest would have. In fact, where would they have received the anointing? It would have been in the temple. But we just saw Jesus come out of the temple. We saw Jesus condemning what they were doing in the temple. That they were not going to receive him for who he was. And so this humble woman basically is saying, if no one else will anoint him, then I will do it. I will pour out my all upon him. I will give him what is deserving of him. In fact, the, the oil that should have been poured on, the, on Aaron's head, and we think of the priesthood, surely should have gone on the head of our high priest forever, who is Jesus the Lord. Shouldn't it have? Who else would have deserved it? During this time, even a, uh, an honored guest, if you had an honored guest come from a long way, you might anoint him in your home. Not in a priestly sense, but in an honor sense. And this woman here is showing great honor for who he is. He's blessing him. But secondly, the ceremonial for burial. Remember, Jesus says he's done a good thing. He says, She says, she did it to prepare me for burial. Could it be that this humble woman understood Jesus approaching death much more than the disciples? Remember how confused the disciples were? He told them time and time again. But I believe that this woman actually got it to, to some degree, maybe to a large degree, I don't know. Us men are a little slow on things. I think women perceive things quicker than some of us. She might have perceived exactly. She might have heard exactly what Jesus said. She was probably with that when he was preaching to them, teaching them that he would be this. And here she is, honoring him of the burial that would come. You see, he would not have his body anointed for burial after his crucifixion. Remember the ladies, they had gone, the women had gone with the oils to do so when they found the tomb was empty. But here, she does ahead of time what needed to be for Jesus. I want you to realize that what they call waste, Jesus calls beautiful. What she was lavishly doing, and the disciples were angry with her, Jesus accepted, he relished what she was doing. In fact, she was worshiping Jesus. If Jesus was a mere man, he would have told her to not do that, for I'm a mere man. He received worship as God. The idea of these cults that are around here in this area and all over the world that say that Jesus wasn't God, you, you, you would have to take a bottle of white out and white out half of your Bible. He, he is God. He is accepting worship here. He says what she has done, notice what he says, that why are you bothering her? For she has done a good deed to me. I love it that at the end he says, he says this, verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, this, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Okay, this is pre-crucifixion. Do you hear what Jesus says? Wherever the gospel 
The good news of what I'm about to do is preached in the whole world. He is testifying ahead of time, assuming that you who are here before today are hearing the gospel preached in Gunnison. That you are not only hearing the gospel preached, but you are hearing of this woman. Don't, don't let that pass by you. That of all history, never to be forgotten is this woman. The, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. The testimony of this woman will endure forever. He's commending her. He says, don't bother her. What she has done is beautiful. Or here are some words to describe this word. Precious. It is a precious deed to me. What she has done is praiseworthy. It is honorable. Like it, This should be an example to, to you. And to us, to the disciples. It is genuine. It's not hypocritical like you saw in the temple. This is genuine. This is excellent. It is pleasing to God. Do you realize she's doing this to Jesus? Just to Jesus. She's doing this to Christ alone. To, to Him only. As if, as if she has blinders on. As if she has tunnel vision. And all she sees is the Lord. And all she wants to give is to the Lord. And she doesn't care about anything or anybody else around. She is focused on Jesus. She is wholly, W-H-O-L, wholly focused on Him. She is wholly, H-O-L-Y, devotion to Jesus. She has no fear of what others think. She has no self-regard. She doesn't care. She is, she's not, she's not self-seeking and looking for appreciation. Maybe I'll be appreciated for this. She doesn't care. She, there's no holding back. There's no conserving. She's just, all of me is, is upon me, is to you. You see what's happening with this lady's devotion? The, I want you to know, brother, brothers and sisters, that Christ person in his work that he's done, that he's accomplished produces this kind of worship. This kind of reverence and, and fragrant devotion. It is, it is unreserved responsiveness to what Jesus has done. In her case, what Jesus is going to do. So take note of this. Imitate her. Long to have this kind of heartfelt devotion that she has, this, this humbleness. And Jesus, he acknowledges her and commends her for all time and all, all eternity. I want you to know something. There's no, there's no formalism here. There's no, well, I was told to do this. There's no ritualism. It, it, it seems as if it's just spontaneous and, and out of the abundance of her heart. Pouring out, pouring out as, as, as she poured out the, the oil, as she broke it. It's, it's her affections pouring out upon him at this particular time. Has, has your life, you are here, has your life expressed this to Jesus? How is, how is your enthusiasm in, 
in Theos, in God? How is your enthusiasm for, for Jesus and what he has done for, for the person of Jesus, for, for him alone? Do, do you express such ruthless, reckless love, extravagance for what God has done? I want you to see this as I, as I was in my study this week thinking of the, the heart sanctified to God. That, that a heart that is truly sanctified to God is more precious to Him than the most expensive alabaster and perfume. The most expensive thing you could ever have is a heart for Him, a, a broken heart over the mercy and grace that Jesus has shown you. You have this type of broken heart that's, that it comes out in the expression of love and, and gratitude and thankfulness. This broken heart of gratefulness is, is more fragrant to God than any physical thing. It's like a sweet smelling aroma going up to heaven. It's, it's as if the, the incense going up to heaven in worship, it's a, the, the fat being burned with <clears throat> the sweet smelling aroma going up to heaven. It's the sacrifice of Jesus and the sweet smelling aroma going up to, to God in heaven. And it's those who are in Christ offering ourselves to him for what he has done for us, not for deserving or any merit, but it's an expression that she's giving of, of Lord, I give myself away. I, I take me and all of me is what she's saying in this expression to the this is all she knows to do at this time that he is before her and I'm going to worship friends when, when I consider what, what Jesus has done for me what could I ever give in return I remember talking to a brother here in this room after his coming to faith and, and that question being asked, like what could I ever do in return for what he has done for me? I mean, could I ever give too much? No. I could give too little, yes. But we all give too little, don't we? We all give too little to our Savior. None of us can say, well, I've just done enough or I've done too much. I mean, is there anything too great for him to ask of you? I mean, would you go to the ends of the earth if he called? Or is that too much? Would you forsake all and follow Jesus? Would you suffer for him? Would you experience betrayal from one of your closest friends for him? Would you be shamed by the world for him? Shamed before your friends and your family? Shamed before those whom you love? Shamed before all? Would you die for him? Better question, would you live for Jesus? Would you lead others to Jesus? Lead others to Christ. Would you spend your life to do so? Jesus is looking for heartfelt devotion. Not formalities. 
He, he's looking for this devotion of an outpouring of our heart. But I want you to know that mankind, those around us, will undervalue devotion. They will undervalue, they will scoff at one who has sold out for Jesus. But what I mean is, they'll call you a fanatic. I'm talking about the religious folks, the church folks. They'll say, tamp it down a bit, brother and sister. You sound a little extreme. Don't be so sold out to Jesus. They'll say, don't take Jesus so seriously. But just be a good person and do some good deeds and you'll be okay. You see, these type of mockers have been around since the beginning. And the disciples at this time were. They actually came and chastised her. But Jesus is saying to them and to us, disregard them. Leave them alone. They have to deal with me. When I think about what Jesus has done, Love divine. I mean, love divine demands my all, my everything. That nothing is too great for my beloved Savior. You are in Christ, can you say that? Do you know that? In the heart of hearts. When a person understands the magnitude of their sins, I mean, the vastness of their sins, the sinfulness of sin, how horrid it is. <coughs> and then and then sees the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and his dying for me, nothing will ever be too much. Nothing will ever be too costly, too, too extreme. Uh, I cry out like the psalmist in, in Psalm 116, what shall I render the Lord for all of his benefits? If I give all of myself, it's still not enough. What shall I render him? Think of this. What shall you render to God for all of his benefits? I mean, can I call out to God too much? Can I tell others of Jesus too often? Can I repent too often? I sin often. Can I repent too often? The answer is no to these things. Can I believe too strongly? No, I need to surrender my all to Him. I think about worship. Is there waste in my worship? Remember they said she was wasting it? Is there waste in my worship? The better question is, is there anything left over from my worship? Like if I, if I, if I held something back, that's the question. I'm much more afraid of wasting my life for other things other than Christ than I am for wasting it upon Him. I'm much more afraid of wasting my time or ministry, my life, talents, money, affections. I'm much more afraid of this than wasting it upon Christ. I mean, where, where is my, my heartfelt priority? Where is my affection laid? Where is my passion? If it's anything other than Christ, it's misplaced. I mean, 
Never am I worried of doing too much for my Jesus. Can anybody say I've done too much? Well, I've done enough? Come on. There'll be no one in heaven that says, well, I've done enough for what he's done for me. You won't be in heaven if you say that. No. Worry that I haven't done enough. I haven't proclaimed him strong enough. I haven't praised him enough. I think, oh, wretched man I am, that I've done too little for what he's done to me. God, forgive me for this. But oh, to be like this unnamed woman here. What an example for us to, to, to give my whole heart as she was, to give my whole devotion, my whole family to give to Christ, my career. I mean, think of that, to give your children to Christ, your loved ones to Christ, everything dear to you. To, to pour it out, if it will, to gush it out upon Jesus, all for his glory. To hold none back, to shrink not back, but to realize that I give all myself to him, for he is my blessed hope. I mean, believer, do you know what awaits us? Do you know what com commendation awaits us? He, he tells, he commends this lady at this time for what she has done, but whatever we suffer here and now, if you experience betrayal here and now, if you hear mocking in this world, all this will mean nothing when you come to that last day and you hear the commendation of Jesus, my Savior. What she has done is good. What you have done is beautiful. What you've done is precious. To stand before my Jesus, my, my atonement, my Passover, my deliverer, my rescuer, my redeemer, my Lord and my God. To be expended for his sake, to be spent for him, and to lay it all before Jesus. What an example for us in this humble woman's memorial that is written in Scripture for us. If it wasn't important to Jesus, it wouldn't be here in his words. He demands you. He demands your all. So let us meditate upon this woman. Meditate upon our Savior. And give him the glory. Do his name. Amen. Father, I pray that we can demonstrate an outpouring of worship and devotion and love to you because of how you first loved us. And what the world calls waste, you call good, you call beautiful. God, may we not hold things back from you. If there be things that we're, one of us are holding back, would you expose that to us? Can we pour it out upon you? Teach us to learn from this example. To not be as the disciples, but to be so, not to be 
scoffing at this, but to be sold out for you, to be poured out for you, to be spent for you. For you have done for us what is undescribable. You being our Passover and our Savior. We'll spend eternity thinking about the blessedness of what you have done for your glory, but for our sake. Thank you for your salvation. As we gather around the table in a moment, may we remember your sacrifice and atonement for us, your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, to bring us to yourself, to reconcile us to your side. May it well up in us a spirit of devotion, a desire to serve you and to be about your mission, to see others brought to you, to make us into the, the image of your Son, to conform us to what you are. Thank you for saving us. For they that are not saved, pray that they would heed the voice of the Savior, that they would be drawn by your cords of compassion, that they would be like this woman and want to pour out their life to you for what you have done for them. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The members of Grace Covenant Church Gunnison hope you were edified by this message. For additional information and more sermons, please visit us online at gracegunnison.com. That's gracegunnison.com.